I had opportunities as I was growing to, to seek him, to see him work in my uh, childish, uh, selfish prayer life. I'll put it that way. Um, just some, some quick examples. Uh, one of my biggest goals as I was going through elementary school was, as I got into middle school, was to quarterback the football team, right? And I prayed and I prayed night and day, you guys, for, I don't know, a year before that time. And, and you know, it was one of those things that, that he answered in his grace, right? Not that I needed that and, and, and you know, all that kind of thing, but, but I, I guess I'm just going to show that I've, you know, I knew him. Um, I was not a child, even though I knew the Lord, and I knew the gospel, I knew who he was. I was not a child walking in the spirit. I certainly wasn't one that was walking in the Lord. Uh, got into trouble here and there, just like most kids, I guess. Um, met my wife in high school. Um, again, prayed about that. Uh, prayed and prayed. He answered the prayer with, with her saying yes to a proposal. We got married. Um, we've been married 31 years now. Um, we have two little kids. As the wedding came up, got married in a church, still attending church, you know, on a regular basis. And um, I was working in a mill then, and, and the Lord was knocking on the door. You know, we all know what the Lord said in Revelations chapter 3, was it verse 19 or verse 20, where he says, Behold, I stand and knock at the door. You know, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and him with me. He was there, and he was knocking, right? Um, and again, I knew him, okay? I knew him as the king of all salvation. I trusted my salvation in him. But I ran my own life, okay? I went to church. I knew the things. Uh, I, I didn't dig in a lot into the, the word of God. Um, uh, getting back to when I was getting married there. I was working in a mill. Uh, if any of you guys have worked in a mill-type environment, it's a little harsh, uh, uh, a little graphic. You know, it, it certainly, um, for me, wasn't a, a place that was wholesome. And at that point in time, the Lord was putting me into his word where I could get away from those guys at break time and that kind of stuff and just read his word. We, we got married. The Lord's still knocking on my heart. We got married. Uh, when, I was, when we were on our honeymoon, I'm laying in bed, and the Lord spoke audibly to me. If you guys, and some of you may have, uh, haven't heard the voice of the creator God of all, it is something that you don't ever forget. It's something that, that shatters everything you know. It's something that shakes you to the core. Um, and all he told me was, and I didn't understand it, all he told me was, you can do it. I didn't know. I didn't know what. I didn't understand what he was talking about. Uh, I was growing in the Lord at that time. And as we started getting into life, as we started working in some of that kind of thing, uh, I was one of those that, that uh, started growing in the Lord, one of those that, was, uh, that grew up fast, that was choked out by the thorns, okay? Um, the, the cares of this life, you know, uh, the riches of this world. And I walked away, not from knowing him and who he was, and this is... This is where I, I want you guys to understand where I came from. Is, uh, I trusted him for my salvation. I trusted him for who he was. I trusted him as creator God of all. But again, I was the captain of my ship. I was the pilot. I was in control. Everything else I can trust to him, but the things that were in my realm was mine. About... Oh, let's see. Oh, five. Um, I was probably 44 years of age 
been away from the church. Come to church for a while, you know, find a church, leave the church for a while. Uh, the Lord threw a song that I'd heard. And I, I don't remember even what the song was called or what it was named, but it was something like, uh, one of the lyrics was something like, wouldn't it be a shame to go through life and not read the good book? And I thought, wait a minute, I hadn't never read this. Never had. The Lord used that to put me into his word. I wasn't one that, that um, boldly could sit out in public and just... You know, and read it, I hid. I got up early, early in the morning before all my whole family got up, spent as much time as I could reading his word and put it away when they got up. It was between me and my Lord. I don't know why, guys, but that's what he did. Um, about two years later, as he's knocking on that door, you know, and as he's working me, I started understanding a little bit of his word, still not going to church. Uh, the first thing he says is, look, you need a prayer life. So I started regularly some kind of communion with him, started praying with him. Um, I needed a church body. I needed a place to worship him. At that point in time, uh, I started, I found this church. We'd been away from a church for about five years. Found this church, oh gosh, spring of 07. I had just finished reading the Bible for the very first time, just finished Revelations. And I was noticing that, that as I was worshiping him through worship, he was touching my heart. The words from the pulpit were hitting my soul. He was, he was touching me, right? It got to be about Easter that year. And I'm driving home from a church service, and I had never thought about, you know, surrendering to him. What did that mean? What was that? I didn't know. Nobody taught me that, even though I knew it since, you know, first grade. What does it mean? You know, uh, did, I, did I trust him? And I'm, I'm going home, and I'm thinking, you know, I must have. I must have surrendered. There must be a time in my life where I must have, and I'm reeling back through my memory, and I'm, I'm looking, I'm looking, and I'm searching. And it wasn't there. And I get home, and I go upstairs, you guys, and I, I lock the door, and I, I get in there, and I hit my knees. And I knew enough about his word and his promises that I wanted what he promised and I didn't know how. I hit my knees and I said, Lord, look, I desire at this point to surrender all I am, all I ever was, all I ever will be, all you've ever given me, but I don't know how. I don't know what to do. And I just cried and heartfelt um, surrender unconditionally of all and at that point in time um, he started changing me he started filling me with his presence um, I went through my born-again process I was converted I knew what it was like to be born of God he started changing me I started looking into his word and understood that, that I am nothing but a living testimony as to what his promises are. You know, when he calls, when he calls us and he says, you are mine, you know, he says, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross and follow me. Whoever does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. You guys, I was one raised in the church, going to church, understood the gospel, understood who Jesus was, but he wasn't my Lord. I understood him as Lord, Lord of all, just not Lord of me. You know, just not Lord of me. Um, you guys, I'm one of the ones that fit the description 
in Luke chapter 13. Um, where it says, he, And he went through the cities and villages teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. Then one said to him, Lord, are there few who are saved? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow gate, for many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. And he will answer and say to you, I do not know you where you are from. And you will begin to say, we, are, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know you where you are from. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the, in the kingdom of God and yourselves thrust out. You guys, I was one of those knocking at the door. I could see myself at the end of time, at the end of my time at least, saying, Lord, Lord, let me in. I knew you. I knew who you were. And he says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. My iniquity was my lack of trust in him for everything. You know, I knew he was good. This is the sad part. I knew he was good. I knew he was wise. I knew he was sovereign. But I couldn't let go. And when I did, you know, that's when he did his work. You know, and he continues to say in his word, uh, in Jeremiah chapter 9, you know, he says, um, you know, then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will, by, I will be found by you, says the Lord. His promise is, is that if I were to seek him with everything I had, if I were to love him, like he says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, that we are to love him with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind, all of it, then he will do his promise. He will, he will support his side. You know, and what, what he did, and uh, gosh, if I go to just the new covenant that's written in Ezekiel chapter 36, because it's perfect for what he did for me. It says, starting in verse 25, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will clean you, cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. That's his work. That's what he did. Anyway, he started changing me, you guys. Uh, um, the things that I took for granted was just me. I didn't want to do them anymore. The things that I needed to stop dwelling on in my mind, you know, sin, He'd take away. If I called upon him, he was there. He continued and continues this day to, to grow me, to teach me, to humble me. As, 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 I, as I was following him, and in the last, what's it been, four years, something like that, maybe five years, since he's changed my life. There are times when I've walked on this path and everything feels good and I know I'm following him and I'm into the word of God all day, every day, as much as I can. I'm praying all the time. I just want to commune with him, right? And, and, and there's times when it didn't feel right. Uh, relationships, you know, something wasn't right. And I'm going, Lord, I'm, I'm following. I'm doing. You know, why is it not feeling right? Why is it not feeling uh, why, don't I, why don't I have that peace that surpasses all understanding, right? I knew what that felt like then. I didn't want to leave it, and it wasn't there. 
And until I got to a point, and this is just, you know, I'll say last year, until I got to that point, you guys, where I hit my knees and said, Lord, I don't care what it takes. I, I thought I knew what the right path is. Teach me. Break me. Teach me again. And faithful as our God is, took me to three verses. I won't get into the details. Took me to three verses and said, look, meditate on these. I did. I'm like, you know, it's, it's those things that you've read a hundred times and you never had a chance to really understand and apply it to your own life. You know, he answers prayer. Um, here, you guys, I'll, I'll end it with a quick little story. Uh, about a month and a half ago, my daughter got married. Uh, she got married on Labor Day weekend. Well, it was like September 3rd. And... The week before, she wasn't feeling good, and she's been battling with some health issues for a couple of years, digestive things and, and stuff like that, and she went in for a checkup on that Friday afternoon, the weekend before she got married. Went in there to see the doctor, complained about not feeling well. Um, the doctor did a couple of little quick tests, walked her immediately down, down to the emergency room and admitted her in the hospital. Um, she was diagnosed with an extreme advanced case of kidney infection, okay? Um, when I got home that Friday evening and my wife and I were there, she's screaming in pain, screaming. You know, this is, this is for those of you that have children, this is your little baby girl, right? Screaming in pain. She's, she's um, somewhat um, uh, painkiller tolerant. They couldn't give her any more painkillers. It wasn't working. It wasn't doing it. And I'm praying. And I'm praying over her. And I'm praying, you know, uh, with her. And, and it isn't stopping. She screamed from Friday afternoon, crying through Friday night, through Sunday, or through Saturday, I mean, through, through all day Saturday. About Saturday night, I'm praying. And the Lord came to me and said, Look, Blaine, are you praying for your will or mine. And it's one of those humbling things, guys, you know? You just live for him. You just live for the Lord, and, and you know where he's taking you to. And you go, Lord, I'm praying for my will. I just want her to stop hurting, you know? And uh, I understood what he was teaching me and crying, you know? I went back into a room, and I'm, I'm kneeling down, and I'm praying, Lord, if it's time, and it's time for you to take her, thy will be done. Lord, you're, you're sovereign, you're God, and you're good. And if it's time for you to take her home, let it be. But Lord, I don't know if I can make it, so strengthen me if that's your, if that's your will. I'm going to need your help. And I prayed that through the night that night. I prayed that Sunday morning with her. And come about 10 o'clock, 10.30, she wakes up. She looks out. Her eyes are clear. She's not in pain. She made it through Sunday uh, with no pain. They released her Monday afternoon. She was married the next Saturday afternoon. You know, our Lord is good. He's good, and he loves us so much that for those of us that think we have everything under control and that we won't release control of our own lives, he still loves us, and he's willing to change us. He's willing to give us his Holy Spirit to convert us, to strengthen us, to conform us into his image. And it's a wonderful walk and a glorious Lord that we live for. Thanks, guys. Hey, how's it going? Um, 
I talked to Rory yesterday and just kind of had some stuff on my heart to share with you guys because um, we want to use this time uh, as we would somewhat like our home groups. We have a time of worship, um, fellowship, prayer, and even testimonies, and we get to hear from people. Obviously, it's going to be difficult for us to do like the discussion time that we have during home groups where we discuss the the text and um, with this many people, it would be take us like ten hours probably every every week, and we we just don't have that time. So, um, what I want to talk to you about though is is really by way of reminder, I guess, ask you a question: What are you doing here? Why are you here? Do you have anything better to do on a Wednesday night? And depending on your answer to what you are doing here, you may actually then have an answer to that next question and go, yeah, actually, I probably do. And I'm willing to bet that we have about half of our home groups here right now. And each each year we remind people, hey, Wednesday, the first Wednesday, well, this is the second year we've done it, but each month, you know, it's not just a time for you to take a week off of home groups. Um, but I think the, the sign that we see uh, a lot of people not here and... Uh, and I understand, but I think the, the reason is is because we don't really get it. We don't really know why we're actually here, what we're doing. Um, and it, it's, it's unfortunate. So what I have is hopefully not so much a scathing rebuke or anything like that, but it really an encouragement and a reminder. And uh, I believe that our role as a church and a body uh, of Christ, part of the the church universal, but individually, this this little group here um, that meets at Calvary Chapel, Crook County. Uh, well, our goal is our, our our purpose here is to bring glory to God, and when we are functioning in that, we are going to find our greatest joy in what we're doing, and that really is kind of summing up in a nutshell what worship is. Uh, but if we don't function as the body of Christ properly as we'll read here in a second, um, with each part filling its role. If you've read 1 Corinthians uh, 12 and even 13, kind of summing up, how does the body of Christ work? Uh, if, if we don't function with the gifts, not, and I'm not just talking about like magical, mysterious ones like tongues or something, but really more the actual functioning of loving one another, encouraging one another, um, calling one another on sin, rebuking each other uh, if we need to, um, coming alongside of people who are hurting. Uh, Chad, a, a while back, he actually shared um, something. I think he was sharing it from another preacher, but it was that when, if, if I got shot in my shoulder, immediately my, my, if I got shot in my left shoulder, my right hand is probably going to go to cover it, and my body is going to pull in and try and protect that shoulder. Um, or if I smash my my hand with like a hammer, I don't go, oh, well, I never really like that hand anyway, you know. I, I go, oh, man, and my other hand comes to aid that. Or if I trip on something or, or, or really just like my back sore, I'm, I'm sitting here, I'm trying to, to, you know, massage it as best I can by myself. Um, that's the way the body of Christ is really meant to, to function. Because if you think of all of those things, and those are more examples of um, accidents or tragedies or something, but... If I want to exercise and, and strengthen my body, well, I'm not going to be like, well, all I need is this finger, and I'm just going to exercise that finger, and that'll take care of the rest of me. All of it has to work together uh, as a whole. And that is the way the body of Christ is designed to work to the glory of God. And I, I think that when we don't see the big picture, um, we'll see that there will be signs, symptoms, really. Symptoms, just like a, a disease, just like an illness. And uh, so I want to read to you real quick out of Ephesians. And uh, if you guys have some time this week, I would encourage you, read through Ephesians and look at how everything is answered with the gospel. Every, every solution, marriage, husbands are to love their wives. Does he just say love your wife and that's the answer? No, he says love her as Christ loved the church. Wives are to submit to their husbands, and that's where a lot of people leave it. But no, he says... They're to submit to their husbands as the churches, to submit to Christ. It's the gospel. Every answer, every solution is the gospel. So in Ephesians chapter 4, 
Paul, after having spoken of the gospel a bit, he goes, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led uh, a host of cap or yeah, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying this, he ascended. What does it mean? Uh, but that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some, uh, and he gave the sorry, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head uh, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint, with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Uh, a key thing here is, again, if you notice, read it a read it hundred times through, and you'll catch everything he's providing here is the gospel. Um, and what we have here uh, is gospel community. Hopefully, that is our aim, that is our hope, our goal in this, is that we would have a gospel-centered community and not just community. Because what happens when you don't have the gospel at the center of community, you just sort of have affinity. You don't see people representing what we see in heaven when uh, we see every tribe, tongue, and nation there. We, we, we see all different people groups gathered together in one place. They're one. When we only have affinity... I'm going to hang out with the guy who looks like me or who has interests like me. I'm not going to fellowship with people who, you know, they're older than me, they're younger than me, they're not as cool as me, or they're cooler than me, or whatever. I'm a musician and they're not, so I can't hang out with them. That If that is your attitude, you don't get the gospel. Because we're, again, we are to grow up into Christ, who is the head, it says. Uh, and we are to use those gifts to, to glorify God. But let me ask you this. When you think of community... What do you think of? Do you think of a TV show? Do you think of, do you think of uh, the surrounding community here in Prineville? I mean, those are all things, I guess you could say, our community. But do you think of God? Do you realize that God is the first community, and he is actually the community of communities? He's Father, Son, and Spirit. In fact, we, as we read here, we see... Uh, um, mention we see it alluded to God the Father and the and and the Son and that they are one. Um, many people misunderstand this that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, right? And they ask, well, why did God create us? Well, because He was really lonely, or God really needed to pour His love out, or He He just needed something other than Himself. He was bored. That's not true. God was in perfect fellowship and community from the beginning, Father, Son, and Spirit. We worship a triune God, and he, he's a trinity, and that means that God is Father, Son, and Spirit. Each are distinct individuals that are members of a whole. They are each fully God, and yet they are all God at one time. And when we uh, were created, it says that we were created in the image of God. What, what does it say in the beginning? He created man, and he says, let us make man in our image. Why is God talking in, uh, in the plural? I think it's because it's literally the Trinity saying, let us create man in our image. And not just that we look like him, but really that we are to actually literally be like mirrors that reflect him. We are to reflect that. And that is why we have this community here. We don't just get together because, well, we don't get to spend enough time together on Sunday mornings. And so um, we need more time. 
I'm telling you, we could get together seven days a week, but if we miss the fact that we are a gospel-centered community, that is our aim and goal, in order to bring glory to God, then all we have is affinity. All we have is a club. We might as well call ourselves the the Eagles or the Rotary Club or the Book Club or something like that, Oprah's Book Club, whatever. We, we might as well be that because we miss the big picture. And the big picture is the gospel. And that part of reflecting God as community, that's what we are here to do. We live in you know, the community of our spouse, spousal relationship, of our family, and it spreads out from there. And we are to reflect that perfect community. We get that honor and that privilege. And yet we miss that point, I think. And I, I, I hate to say, but I think that it's illustrated by the fact that many of us are not here tonight. And I know people have their reasons and their stuff, but it, it didn't, this night didn't just, oh, oops, I forgot. You know, it, it didn't show up and we went, oh, man, I forgot that I have home groups every single week. No, it really didn't. It, it's that it's not much of a priority and that really we don't understand, we don't appreciate the gospel. That ultimately we are here because Jesus Christ loved us and he gave up his life for us. And if we are beginning to understand that, if we are surrendered to that, then nothing will be too much for him to ask. And I know that that, that sounds intimidating because you think, he's only going to ask me to do terrible things. He's only going to ask me to do everything that I hate. Actually, part of bringing glory to God, as I uh, alluded to earlier, is that we get joy when we glorify God because, quite, quite honestly, that is what we were created for. I've used this example a bunch, but it's like a screwdriver. When it's used to unscrew or screw something down, that it is, if it could talk, it would be like, this is, I'm at my greatest joy. When I'm just sitting on the shelf, I'm not doing anything, and that's kind of boring. Um, but when, when I get to be used in the way that God created me to be, that my maker created me to be, I'm at my greatest joy. But we, what we think as kind of walking, living tools of God uh, we walk around and we think, I, I'm a, I'm, I know I'm a screwdriver, but I'd rather be a paintbrush or a hammer or something. And that's where I'm going to find my greatest joy or, or rebelling against completely what I was created for and, and not dwelling in that community. This is part of it. Um, if, if we are, uh, we are going to worship God forever in community, in heaven, in that gospel-centered community where we are constantly pouring out our, our love, our joy, our affection toward the God who loved us and redeemed us and saved us from our, our sins and our, our desperate, vile wretchedness that we could do nothing to redeem ourselves from. It, why would we not want to gather together here and just for that brief moment go, this is a little taste of what heaven will be like. We will be together and we will be without sin and we will worship God and and we will have all the glory put on him and and while this is always going to be uh, a flawed thing because we're still in this world we want to as best we can be being transformed and that that big bible word sanctification that is what this is part of Um, another reason we have community here is because we all have blind spots in our lives and God has designed the church to work, not just to cover those wounds and everything, but to go, not in a condemning way, but to say, hey, Stuart, I recognize that you're kind of a, a jerk or something like that. You're, you're not really reflecting Christ very well in this way, um, in your language or how you, how you talk to your wife or something like that. And if, if we are functioning as a gospel-centered community, you're going to be able to come up to me and say that. Maybe I'll be a little ticked off. But that's part of it. That is part of sanctification. Because it said here that God gave each of us a measure of gifts, and we're all filled with the same Holy Spirit. And, and many of us, we want to say, um, all I really need is me and Jesus. It's all about me as an individual in my relationship with God. And while, yes, that's true, it's also not. Because it's not. When we read the Bible, it talks about that you are a holy nation, a royal priesthood. It doesn't say you are a holy nation individual. You are a holy priest, it says priesthood. It's using the language of plurality, that we are together this thing. 
that we are in this community. And so when I have that blind spot and Rory sees it in my life and he can come to me and, and the Holy Spirit is working to sanctify us through each other. We, we neglect that and we think, well, it's just me and I'm just sitting here thinking, uh, waiting for the Holy Spirit to tell me what to do. But that's not it. Yes, he does function in that way, but more often than not, I really believe that his greatest function within our body here, it's not going to be you going out and rattling off in tongues, though if you pray in tongues, God bless you, that's great. But it's going to be the Holy Spirit functioning within this body as a community to, so that we would better reflect Jesus Christ. Because the other side effect, the benefit to us when we are really imaging Christ is that we, be, we get to go out and live that gospel community among the world where we go, people go, hey, I hear Christians are hypocrites, but you guys actually seem to be representing something completely different. You're, you will have that attractiveness that was around Jesus, even though people at the end of his life, you know, crucified him, and you will have that as well, because um, he said, if they hated me, they'll hate you as well. But he also had something that that all of the people, all the sinners who would maybe we would be put off by and, and they would be put off by us because we think that we're holy and they're not. They were somehow attracted to Jesus. And if you look what he was saying, he went around and he was saying repent. But something about him drew them to him. And yes, it was God and it was him working in that way. But, but we will live out our community, not just in this little group and in our individual home groups, but we will live it out in such a way that it brings glory to God because we are living before the world, um, because we, we have that, uh, what is it, uh, there's a Latin term, but basically before the face of God, we live before the face of God. And if that is how we are living because we love Jesus and what he's done for us, then we will be reflecting the face of God to each other, and then outside of this. And we'll, and again, when we have that service outside of this community, it's not motivated by, oh, I feel, feel really guilty. I should go out and I should serve at the Oasis because, well, no one else is doing it, and if no one does it, then I, I'm, I better do it. No, we'll be motivated because of grace, because of Jesus. And that will cause, that's gospel-centered service, but that will cause gospel-centered multiplication, which... I'm totally ripping that off from someone else too. I didn't. I did not come up with those titles, but um, and and it will just perpetuate. It will become this growth that we will multiply because that's what healthy sheep do. So I want I want to encourage you guys. I'm not again. I'm not trying to rebuke you harshly or anything because you guys are the ones who are here, which is great. I'm, I'm totally stoked about that. I need to hear that just as much for myself to be reminded. And, and as we live in that community, we need to always remind each other of the gospel. When we lose sight of the gospel, we are like in the book of Hebrews. He says they drifted. They, they began to doubt or they, they completely departed from that faith. And he's like, we need to stir it up again. We need to be reminded again lest we drift away from the faith that was delivered to us. So again, we, we need to go, hey, I need to go, hey, Rory, isn't Jesus great? Isn't the gospel amazing? Or um, someone comes to me and they say, hey, Stuart, I recognize this in your life, and you know what a good cure for that is? The gospel. It, it's almost the, the joke, you know, the Sunday school answer. What's the answer? Jesus. What's the answer? Jesus. 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 You can almost always bet that the right answer is going to be Jesus. And in this case, it is, because it's Jesus who is the center of the gospel. So that's all I got. sure what to say after that. Um, <laughs> actually, it's good because, you know, we, we didn't get a chance to compare notes today and kind of wanted to speak a little bit on community as well. And, and I think that was kind of just a nice nice tie-in to just something where the Lord's had me in the last couple of days. And so, you know, Tuesdays with, with the high school and the middle school group, we've been teaching through the uh, book of Genesis. And it's been it's been really cool, um, enjoyable for me, if, if for no one else, but I think everybody else enjoys it too. <laughs> it's just been re- really exciting, and so, so last night, I um, kind of had one of these moments where kind of teaching through this and, and kind of saw maybe some, some new truth kind of in the middle of teaching it that I hadn't planned on, you know, getting into. And so we were in Genesis 28, um, you know, where, where Jacob, 
has his dream. And, and you know, just as we've been, we've been looking at, at Abraham, we've been looking at Isaac, and now we're, we're into Jacob, right? And, and, and there's kind of this, this theme that we see going throughout um, you know, the lives of these three men where, where God makes this promise over and over and over and over. It's just repeated numerous times uh, thus far in the book of Genesis where he talks about that all the families of the earth, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed um, because of you. All, you know, your descendants will be as numerous as the, the sands on the shore. Your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And, and kind of cool to, to know that uh, for those of us that profess faith in Jesus Christ, that that's talking about us, right? It's talking about us. It's talking about you and me here. And, and so we come to this, this point in Genesis 28 where, where Jacob has a dream. And I'm just going to read this starting in verse 10. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to. But it says, Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran and came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord God stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give you, give to you and your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. And so, so we see God really uh, through these promises that he's, he's giving to Jacob now and, and previously to Isaac and before that to Abraham, that, that God is establishing community and saying, I'm going to make this community, and, and, and here's what I'm going to do with it. And so, so he carries out this promise, and, and, and it doesn't depend on us, because he says, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you, right? So, so, so it doesn't depend on us. It depends completely on God. Verse 16, then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? There is none, uh, this is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up as a pillar, and he poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel. <clears throat> then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God, and this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house, and all that you have given me, I will give a full tenth to you. So kind of this cool story, and, and something that just kind of caught me, you know, last night as, as we were working through this. Um, here at the end, I don't, I don't know if you caught this, but, but let, me, let me read this again. Uh, in verse 20, it says, Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I will come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house, and all that you've, of that you've given me I will give a full tenth to you. And we see this moment, and we've kind of seen, like, like Jacob's kind of a dirtbag, right? We've, we've kind of seen some, some kind of conniving you know, activity from Jacob. And here we're at this point where he has this encounter where, where God visits him in a dream, and shows him this ladder, this staircase going up to heaven, and angels coming up and down, kind of this meeting of heaven and earth. And Jacob awakes from this dream, and he's like, oh, hey, cool, this man, you know, God's really in this place. And then what comes out of his mouth, okay, God, if you give me food, if you give me clothes, if you give me safety, if you take care of me, then you can be my God. And you know what, I'll, I'll, even, I'll even give you a tenth of everything that, that you give me. What a dirtbag, <laughs> right? And, and he kind of makes the, gives God these terms, right? Okay, God, if things are going to be this way, if you can take care of me, right, then, then, then I'll give a little bit back to you, right? And, and, and here, here's God really establishing through a promise his, his community, right, with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob. And Jacob kind of turns this around and says, okay, if there's something in it for me, if this is going to benefit me, then yeah, I'll, I'll be a part of this, right? I'll buy into it. And so he gives God his terms. 
And, and just kind of thinking about this, it's like, man, how, how often do I do that? How often do I come to God and say, okay, you know, if I have time, I'll, I'll show up at this, right? I'll show up on a Wednesday night, right? You guys all have time, so you're here, right? If I, if I can afford to, I'll, I'll write the check this month, right? If, if, if I have some extra resources which I can give, I'll, I'll do that. Right? And what we do is kind of the same thing that Jacob is doing here, is kind of giving God our terms and saying, okay, this kind of works for me. It works for me to show up on Sunday. It works for me to show up on Wednesday. It works for me to write a check every now and then. It works for me uh, to, to give a little bit of time here and there, to show up at the work day, to, you know, whatever, show up at a home group, do these things. Um, and, and we're essentially doing the same thing as Jacob and saying, okay, God, if, if you do these things, if you take care of me, right, if there's food on the table, um, you know, if, if I'm safe, if, if you protect me, if I have a house to live in and gas in the tank, then all these things that work for me, I'll continue to do these things. And so this is kind of what we see as Jacob's idea of the community that God is trying to establish, right? And, it, and it's really kind of this stark contrast to the community that, that we see in the book of Acts. And, and we've read this before, and I know you guys are familiar with this, but, but we see in the book of Acts... Chapter 2, where we get the name, or, you know, in 242 groups, starting in Acts 242, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. There, there's a lot of contrast there kind of between this idea of community and, and, and what we see in Genesis 28 of, of Jacob kind of first looking out for his own needs, right? God, take care of me and I'll give a little bit back to you. And what do we see here is... is you know, after, after these people had had an encounter with the Holy Spirit, um, my needs, it didn't necessarily matter. They were looking out for the needs of one another, not, not themselves individually. And, and there, was no, there were no terms here given to God that says, if things are going to be this way, then, then, then I'll, do, I'll do this, right? That's not happening here in the book of Acts. And, and so, you guys, as we, as we talk about community, as we're a part of a community, um, just be, be cognizant. Like, so this has kind of hit me last night in a real heavy way, just, just from, from me, right? Of, you know, how many, how many times do, do I kind of put conditions on God and put terms on God that says, okay, I'll, I'll be a part of this community that you've created if it works for me, right? And, and that's not the community that, that, that God has designed. It's not for us to come to God and say, if this works for me, I'll be a part of it. Right, the community that, that, that God has created. And, and, and here's, here's kind of a cool, I think, connecting of a dot. Um, you know, going back to the story of Genesis 28, this, like, what's the deal with this ladder that, that Jacob sees? Right? It's, kinda, you know, it's one of those things that, that maybe some of us have read before, and you know, we kind of gloss over it and not really think about what's the significance of, of this ladder. Right? That we, we see angels ascending and descending on this ladder. Well, at the end of John chapter 1, Jesus says... Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And here's what we have that Jacob didn't have. Jacob, being, being on the other side of the cross, <clears throat> didn't have Jesus to look to. But, but us here today, we, we can read this and say, okay, that, that ladder we see in Genesis 28 it is really a foreshadow of, of who is to come. It's a foreshadow of Christ. And, and what's the significance to us? This is the tie that binds our community together. This is the tie that makes our community a gospel-centered community is Jesus Christ. And so kind of the, this meeting of, of heaven and earth is Jesus, right? And Jesus says later on in John, you know, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you think about that in the context of community, it's kind of a cool thing to think about. Right, the, 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 this community that, that God is, has established, that God is establishing, is not about us as individuals. It's not about my needs or what's in it for me or what works for me or what doesn't work for me. 
Well, what it's about is that, that God, through Jesus Christ, has made a way for us to go to heaven. And, and that's the central focus, the central part of our community. And you know, Stuart talked about motivation. Man, if that doesn't motivate you, then what does? <clears throat> right? And, and, and so can you see this difference of, of this motivation of, of what's in it for me versus, you know, what, what, is, what has God already done for me? Right? And, and so this tie that binds us together in, in this ladder that, that Jacob sees in Genesis 28 really is, like I said, is a foreshadow of, of, of Jesus making a way for, for us to, to go to heaven and making a way for us to be redeemed, making a way for us to be saved. And, and if that's at the center of our community, then the result is what we see in Acts chapter 2. Is that, you know what? It isn't about me. It's about him. And because it's about him, it's, it's about us collectively, not, not individually. And so we see kind of this supernatural move of the Holy Spirit where people were meeting one another's needs and not considering anything that they had their own, but, but just distributing to one another as there was need. And it's this beautiful picture of community the way that God designed it to be. And so kind of maybe for you guys that are here, this is a little bit of, of preaching to the choir. It's um, like Stuart said, you guys are here. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but, but you guys, as we, as we understand more and more the purpose of community and the reason uh, for which God designed it, the only way that we can respond to that understanding is that we'll begin to live like, like we see the gospel lived out in the book of Acts, right? And, and so just want to, like Stuart, encourage you guys uh, in that to, to really think about um, the, the purpose of community um, <clears throat> and how you fit into it. You know, we, we've just in the weeks leading up to home group have kind of had little snippets here and there of, you know, kind of what community is all about. And we're going to continue to do that and hopefully continue to do that as we meet from, from week to week on Wednesday nights. Um, you know, not just in the short time that we have tonight, we're not going to unpack everything that, that community is and all of the implications of community, but just would encourage you guys um, as we meet in 242 groups and as we meet collectively uh, to think about this context of community. And, you know, over the course of this season of 242 groups, we're going to continue to unpack that uh, just a little bit at a time uh, so we can really, um, you know, digest what it is and, and figure out what it means to live in community. And, and our hope is that, uh, that, that, yeah, God will be glorified, that, that we as a body will be edified, and, and hopefully we'll be able to see kind of this special move of God like what we see in Acts 2.42, um, or in Acts chapter 2. So just want to encourage you guys with that and... and um, and we just love to even just have continuing just discussions uh, about what community is. But, but please don't look at, at home groups or these Wednesday nights or Sunday mornings or um, anything else. You know, men's studies, women's studies, youth groups, senior studies is just things that fill our schedule or things that we have this obligation uh, to go to uh, or even things that we enjoy going to. It's so much more than that. Being part of community is so much more than just making time to attend things. Right? It's so much more than that. And so I'm just going to leave it there tonight, and, and we'll continue to unpack this as, as time goes on. But uh, just encourage you guys with that.